Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. For $5 a month, you can actually see the Thin Green Line interviews and other video content on Patreon.com. Just search the Thin Green Line podcast on Patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com and feel like you're part of the conversation. Join us. Today on the Thin Green Line, episode two, we have uh, Paul Rella, and Paul Rella's on our show because he's a prepper, and Paul and I go way back uh, before prepping, although I think I've always been kind of a prepper. The first time we met, you know, I was gnawing on something wild, and uh, you know, that's something you probably would prep for the future, <laughs> but and yeah. Paul was a... Paul and I worked together too. Uh, I I was a game warden and he was a trooper and we worked in the same area. Uh, Paul uh, uh, migrated from uh, city life, not really city life, but migrated to the mountains. Uh, They were calling him. So he came to the mountains and was a trooper up there in Northern Coas County. And uh, he's uh, got right into this prepping stuff and uh, being self-sufficient basically is what it is. Isn't it Paul? More than prepping or yeah. being able to yeah. survive long-term without the needs of others, really. Right. Uh, just trying to be ahead of the curve. Um, one thing law enforcement's taught me is uh, can happen to me, can happen to my family. There's no protective bubble around us. Um, I think right. most people go through life um, thinking that it always happens to somebody else or it's going to happen to somebody else in another country or, um, you know, whatever that, whatever it is. And um, I think being in law enforcement, you realize that, you know what? It, it can happen to me. There's nothing protecting me. Um, and there's nobody going to protect me except my friends um, and uh, my family. So, so in that, in that vein, that's what we started doing is um, making sure that we were all set. Yeah, no, no doubt. And, uh, and is that why you moved North? I'm just curious. Well, um, after yes. I was in the Marines for uh, four years as a military policeman, um, when I came back, I, got hired by a local uh, law enforcement agency. Um, the state police were not hiring at the time. Uh, that was my goal to get on the state police. Um, and I lived in um, a town that um, 
I had neighbors. Um, I had three acres, but I had neighbors. It was a neighborhood. Um, and I started, I was always been interested in raising farm animals. And in high school, I raised uh, show birds and, and uh, nice. chickens, ducks. I had an incubator. You know, uh, we had horses, stuff like that. But when I um, got out of the service and I bought my first house, um, I started raising pigs in my backyard and um, started raising turkeys, uh, meat birds, um, laying heads, stuff like that. It was a little bit too much. Um, there was no ordinance in town against it, but when I couldn't sleep at night because of the stench after the fourth year of raising pigs <laughs> on a you know, hot summer night and raising pigs in a neighborhood and it was uh, wafering in, you had to shut the windows. I'm like, I probably need to get out of here. Plus, <laughs> there was, was a, a couple other things that were happening. <laughs> there, was, there was a couple other things that were happening. Um, the town that I was in, you know, just started growing at an unprecedented rate. Um, yeah. they, you know, we got a Walmart, we got a market basket, we got, uh, Home Depot was coming in. Uh, I think, uh, most people love that fried chicken. What's that? Most people like that when that happens. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 yeah. no, no. I, I, uh, so I, I had been a big fan of the North country. I'd been coming up here snowmobiling. I liked the fact that it was really rural. Um, I liked the fact that there wasn't a Dunkin' Donuts in town. I liked the fact that, um, you know, it was old mom and pop stuff. And, um, when I did eventually um, get hired by the state police, um, I told them I wanted to come all the way up to um, Pittsburgh or, you know, Coas County. And that's exactly where they sent me, um, settled in Columbia. And um, I was able to buy pretty much old farmland. And my interest when I came up here was farming, basically, you know, being a police officer and uh, being a gentleman farmer. I like raising my own meat. I like my wife had a big garden, canned a lot of stuff. Um, at the time that I came up here, I wasn't a hunter. Um, it wasn't until uh, I met you and a couple of the other guys that I work with that I got into the <laughs> got into the chase, which is a lot more exciting than going out to a pig pen and shooting your pig. So, right. <laughs> um, you know, it was great to be up here with you guys that had done this all along, and you guys taught me a lot when it came to that. Yeah, look at the back wall now, man. You're doing good. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. Uh, nice, I got into nice it. Back there. <laughs> I have to admit that some of those are my wife's, but, um, you know, I got into it and she showed an interest in it. I bought her a, uh, a rifle and, um, so she took off with it and we both basically put meat on the table whenever we can. Awesome. Yeah. And, and I got a little side story. I got to tell you, John, because the house that he bought when I was patrolling mm -hmm. around a nice big log cabin, it sets off the road and yeah. I used to have my lunch whenever I bought a lunch or something, because I was young game warden back then, I'd, I'd buy my right. lunch and I would go park in this empty house that was just magnificent, sit on the back porch, <laughs> eat my lunch, and, and think about buying this place. I'm like, you know, I'll, I'll be able to pick this place up for a song. No one will ever buy this place. And, you know, Paul ends up buy, purchasing the house that I used to eat, you know, dream about oh, living in as a young game <laughs> warden. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it's a pretty cool place, uh, no doubt. No doubt. So that well, was that was meant to be. Small world. That worked out great. <laughs> yeah. And so, then the first so Paul, time, when you uh, no, go ahead, bud. No, you. It's all you. I was going to say, Paul, when you, you know, when you talk about prepping and all this, this preparedness and, and, and survival readiness, you know, that's such a hot topic right now, given the this national pandemic we've seen, and nothing like it in our generation. Was that really catalyzed when you were a trooper? Because you alluded to that when we first started talking in this broadcast. Um, and then you just, you know, take it kind of to a, a, a heavier level 
after you retired or was it always kind of in progress throughout your law enforcement career? And what kind of, what kind of catalyzed it? Um, I think um, we started, um, it was actually uh, a guy that I worked with um, him and another guy started talking about it um, and brought up the subject to me. And I'm like, you know, I'm, I already have the biggest freezer that any company makes. And, you know, I usually put your power <laughs> year and I like, I'm very organized when it comes to, I, I need to have a, even before I started prepping, I liked it when my freezer was full. Um, right. The store has whole chickens on sale for 99 cents. I usually go in and buy 10. Uh, I don't yep. pay the $2 for them. So I've always liked to have the squirrel away effect kind of stuff that um, I was doing. But um, I really, when we started talking about it, and of course I was on nights um, and there was a lot of downtime, you know, after, after two o'clock in the morning and so we we park. Uh, one of the guys was a local cop, and I was a trooper, and there was another guy that was a trooper, and we just start talking about it, um, and I really realized how not prepared I was. Even though um, when I started researching stuff, you, you can't live on deer meat. Um, you, you know what I mean. You you have to have provisions above and beyond just survival skills, really, um, especially right. if you throw a family into the mix. Um, yep. you know, you're going to have to take care of your kids. You're going to take care of your wife. Um, and I was very, even though I was probably more prepared than most, I was very ill prepared. Um, yeah. and so then we started, um, a bunch of us guys that were like mine and most of us were jarheads anyway. So we all got along. And, um, <laughs> so we, uh, we would meet, you know, we started meeting once a month, um, having a couple beers, talking about what we wanted to do. Um, and then we started putting a plan into action and we actually met this, we did this for three to five years. Can't, I don't remember wow. how long. And in fact, you know, we had stopped, um, we had gotten to the point where we had so much stuff. Um, you know, we had enough stuff that we could take a break, you know, um, and maybe focus on some other, other things. Um, and so, um, it's a good feeling to, to be all set. You know, I mean, I, I don't think you could ever be all set, but we felt pretty good in the position that we were in and kind of our meetings kind of dissolved. Um, I still had, um, like I brought my father into the, into the fold. Um, I, I have four, four boys. Um, my oldest boy was living with us at the time and he, he got into it. Um, so talk about starting back up. Um, some of my stuff right. that I stored right now is, uh, going on 20 years old. Nice. Um, you know, the stuff that we, the stuff that I was interested in storing wasn't the five-year stuff. Um, a lot of the five-year stuff you can do without, you know. Um, I was interested in storing stuff that lasted 20 to 30 years. There you um, go. Nice. So that's basically what we focused on. Um, you know, we had, we had a, you know, we would, we would actually take notes and we would, you know, assign something to one guy, assign something to another guy. They'd go research it. We'd have another meeting and then we'd put that into, into, uh, action. Um, a lot of our meetings, um, we packed food for two hours. Um, everyone helped, you know what I mean? You know, you bought what you wanted. Um, and, and that's how we got it done. And, and over the time, uh, over, over the years, you know, stuff adds up. Yeah. That, that's great. So you guys, you guys were on it way in the early days before, so much of our, you know, especially North American U.S. public found themselves completely under-equipped when COVID-19 broke out. Um, and now, now we're seeing this backlash of guys like you, guys like Wayne and I, got military first responders or survivalists, just in general on that fingering line front across the board. Everyone's picking our brains now on, well, 
you know, what is your load outlook, your bug out bag for the day? What are your long term right. stores of food? Right. What are your survival implements if you lose power, or you lose gas? Um, and it, it's, it's interesting to see this wave, you know, kind of uh, at the last minute, kind of panic stricken almost mm-hmm. and, and all the hype for it. It's just neat to see that, you know, you've, you've done such a, yeah. a killer job of doing it early. Um, when you talk about food storage, Wayne and I got into this when we first uh, co-hosted a Warden's Watch a while ago. And it was actually just when COVID-19 was starting up before we knew the magnitude. Um, it's one thing to have all that food, like you said, you know, a freezer full of deer meat, all these other, you know, uh, non-perishables, but storing them and sealing them properly for freezer storage to extend life and things like that is critical. And what do you use, you know, as far as vacuum sealing, the new food saver system, or do you have any recommendations? We share yeah, some notes uh, on that. There's, there's all kinds of different ways um, that you can do it. You know, some people, um, some people save two liter soda bottles and uh, dry them out and they fill it with rice and they cap it. So there's no air in it. You know, that'll store rice for a while. Um, we opted to go uh, for a little bit more expensive route that would last longer and would, would basically impervious to mice. Um, we could bury, uh, bury these things um, uh, in strategic locations. Um, so nice. basically what we did um, was um, one of the guys that was part of our group was really great on research and this stuff and um, had the patience to do it and brought it to the table, brought it to the fold. So we, we purchased Mylar bags. Um, which is nice. very common in this kind of thing. I mean, people use sure. mylar bags all the time. But what we did, I think we did a little extra of a step. So <clears throat> we would, we got the product that we wanted that would last the longest. Um, we got um, what they call oxygen tabs that suck all the oxygen out of the bag, and that's very important mm-hmm. too. Um, those aren't cheap either. So we would uh, pack the pack the food into um, five gallon bags and um, oxygenate. Put the oxygen tab in it. And, um, you know, then you seal it with an iron, you get all the air out of it. You try to seal, you know, you seal it with the iron. And then we went the extra step and we, a lot of people just store those bags on shelves and stuff. We put them all in sealable, uh, food grade, hard plastic buckets, five gallon buckets. when When you put the top on, it seals, it's, it's, uh, it's airtight, watertight. You can bury them. It doesn't leak. Even if it did leak, it probably wouldn't get in the Marilla bags. The biggest thing is the rodent problem. Um, right. So um, that's what we did for um, all of our dry goods, um, and it worked out really well. Nice. Yeah, kind of kind of double redundancy in the, the longevity of that's incredible. Right. Well, what what we were thinking of was this. Now, you know, let's say you have um, 150 buckets. Um, I don't really want to keep all of them at my house. I want them in different locations in case my house burns down. Right. If my house burns down. I have no food. Um, so, um, you know, not everybody can, you know, afford to get a bunker built, you know what I mean? Uh, sure, so, sure. so the, the buckets, they can be stored in other places. You could bury them in, in, in locations. You can put them in, uh, you know, throw them in your barn. Mice are not getting in it. You know, you can just have them spread out, uh, which I thought was important because I didn't want everything in one spot. Nice. And I'm assuming, Paul, that you buried some somewhere in strategic locations because you always grin when you say that. Um, maybe. <laughs> maybe. Well, well, I you swear it's my last that. bucket. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what they say, guys. Two is one. One is none. So right. you gotta, you know, you, you got to have some redundancy out there, Paul, like you said. And, uh, yeah, I think what Wayne's getting at is how many secret, you know, bunker little, little berry holes do we have? Um, I'll, I'll admit to a few. 
in both uh, my old in, in in a couple of states, my previous state, and my new state of Montana. There, there's a few. So, because right, right. that that's the key. That's so you know that's the key. People are missing right now is if your house is taken over in a in a, in a worst case scenario, whatever that looks like, or it burns down, right, or you you lose it to a natural disaster, or something like that. Or most of us, me included, you know. Um, keep the bulk of our survival supplies for that magical number of at least 30 days. You know, in, in this day and age, I hope people are doing it for 90 days plus. And that's kind of what we've been, you know, Wayne and I have been pushing since this thing started. But uh, a majority of us do keep everything at home or close to the home. Mm-hmm. And you bring up a great point of preparing for the, you know, the worst case scenario where, you know, you basically have to live out of a bug out bag in a, in a hidden food right. store. And it's important for us listeners to know that. I appreciate you bringing it up. Right. The other, the other thing that I felt was important, and, I, and this isn't my idea by any means, but I read a lot, at the, you know, when we were doing this, I was, you know, um, I, I some, I've had the nickname Overdue, um, so like, I like to <laughs> tend to overdo things. Um, so uh, one of the things um, that I read about and I, and I really latched on to, um, I don't know if it was from my profession or what, but um, I wanted to have enough that if I did come across somebody that had a couple of kids that were starving. Um, yeah. Let's say their shit really hit the fan. I want to be able to give that person 20, 30 pounds of rice and yes. not take awesome. it from my family. Um, right. And, you know, cause I, you know, especially when there's kids involved, you know, he, you know, we talked about if someone showed up, <clears throat> depending on their skill level, whether we would let them stay with our group or not, I don't know. Um, what did they bring to the table? You know what I mean? Um, sure. Sure. But if we weren't going to let them stay, I'd send them off with something. Sure. Anything, That's great. You know, something yeah. that, um, and so I, I thought that was important to, to, to have that in my, my stash also. Well, that puts a little level of humanity in it when we, when we see so much panic and so much fear, you know, eroding support for one another right now all over the country. And mm. I mean, we, we started to see that the first week of just the announcement of this COVID-19 presence in America and right. nothing had even happened yet. Nobody right. was out of food. There wasn't any rationing. There wasn't any, you know, shelter in place orders, but just the, the fights I was breaking up in the Bay Area, California that Wayne and I talked about on a previous show, just because tensions were so high. And, you know, you bring something we haven't heard yet is bring a little levity to that by bringing a little bit of community. And the bottom line is we got to stick together through this thing, take care of our own for, first and foremost, of course. But, you know, when you think of prepper and survival mentality, and I do a lot of work with Recoil Off Grid, which is part of my brand and, and publishing and stuff. And Recoil hits on this and they, you know, the maximum preparedness. But you, you see a very fine line between, you know, all for yourself and, you know, we're, we're going we're gonna to hold everything by force if we need to to survive versus, yeah, let's give everybody a chance and bring them into the community for a force multiplier. Or if it's not going to work out and you have to make that hard call where, sorry, we don't have enough and we can't sustain you as part of our group. Um, send them with something, you know, and, and pay it forward. And I haven't heard that yet. It's, it's a neat perspective and something we need these days. So good stuff. Right. And I, I just, you know, it was just important to me to be able to be in a position uh, to be able to do that. You know, the other thing we struggled with too, because we were all law enforcement. So um, a big part of what we struggled with, and we had many conversations on it. Um, you know, one of the guys in the group was the chief of police in the town. Um, one of one of the other guys was his officer, and we had a bunch of troopers. Well, if let's say, I mean, obviously, there's a couple different scenarios that you know we're talking, you know, EMP strike or let's say the uh, pandemic like we have now. Um, if society started to collapse, 
Right. What would our duty be? Would our duty be to close our doors, shut our, shut our shades, stay home, or are we going to go out and we're going to try to do what we, what we're hired to do? You know what sure, I mean? Sure. You know, so that was a big thing. You know, some of the guys were like, screw that. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm taking care of my family and I'm like, but you know, if, if the town's on fire and you got a bunch of guys going around that, you know, the guys that we deal with all the time that sure. are just taking advantage of these innocent people, you know, ripping them off and, and, you know, raping and, you know, who knows how far it could go. Um, sure. How can we stand by and let that happen? You know what I mean? Well, yeah. And that's, that's a great point because right now, you know, again, when I mentioned those fights and those tensions that were happening the first week of this outbreak, um, certain Instagram videos I was seeing like really close to my old Silicon Valley hometown area, California in San Francisco, you know, the wolves are going to come out, right? And right. the wolves are going to come out during daylight when they find that the sheep are completely overwhelmed and, right. and us sheep dogs aren't around to hold the line. Right. So right. guys going into Walgreens with hoodies and sunglasses on unarmed and just cleaning out counters while everyone just looked at them with their, with their mouths open, jaws on the ground, able to do nothing. And these guys were just laughing at the attendance there as people were taking this video. And that to me was a reminder of what we've all done as first responders, as all of us law enforcement in Greenline or otherwise. Um, that's it exactly. What are we supposed to do when the wolves come out? And they're out and they're going to be out. And, and, and I think all three of us on this conversation agree. Um, we're we're going to protect and we're going to save our communities. It's just, it, it's, it's in our blood to be sheep dogs. I wouldn't do it any other way. Right. Um, but it's definitely a good convert. It's definitely a good debate mm-hmm. point. At what mm-hmm. point, you know, when your family is in danger because of those sacrifices you're making, if it gets too right. terminal, and that's something that we can only play day by day, and I hope it never comes to that. But um, but we got it. We got to keep in mind that it could. Yeah, mm-hmm. and sheepdogs exactly. in rural New Hampshire and rural Montana compared to New right. York City, right? And Jersey <laughs> and L.A. Yep. A whole yep. different dog. <laughs> Well, well, guys, I'll, I'll share a story with you both, Paul. You'll appreciate this, Wayne, um, just because of our backgrounds and how we're oriented. I talked to, earlier this morning on my trail run behind the house, I talked to uh, Pat Foy, who is a captain with the uh, California Department of Fish and Wildlife and our lead PIO for all kinds of networking. And, you know, he's kind of an office guy there in Sacramento in our, in our headquarters office for where our capital is. And he told me, John, in the last two months, as this outbreak has broken out, I've run code three and dealt with more physical confrontations of trying to de-escalate them either by myself or, or working with other LE from other agencies than I have in 20 years of my career so far. Um, tensions are so high. People are getting so fired up on law enforcement right now, you know, dictating where they can and can't go on shutdown orders with, you know, stay at home and not being able to go out. So everyone is just irritated and it's, it's getting pretty crazy to the point of in the bigger cities like that spot with, um, with this pandemic and right. and to your point wayne um what is it like in the big cities well it's everything we don't really see a lot of in our little rural areas on steroids 20 times yeah. and every day it gets a little worse and it was really good to get his perspective today coming into this podcast um which uh which was eye-opening to, to everyone's point here something we, we need to we need to get out there and, and think about right. yeah no doubt and that's what that's what i kept thinking you know it it, it changes and to Paul, me and Paul talked earlier that the, your your preparedness changes being, you know, where you are too. You know, the people in the city become prepared in a different way than than right. we do. So. Absolutely. If you're if you're in the city, you're not going to survive. You know yeah. what I mean? You just depending on what it yeah. is. You know, um, you know if you know like we talked about if 
if let's say that there's a pandemic, but it's not COVID. It's something that um, um, is like the plague that, you know, 60 to right. 70% of anybody who gets it dies. Yep. Um, if that's the case, truck drivers aren't going to work. Right. The people at, at the supermarket are not going to be there. Um, right. You know, they're not going to be checking you out. So the, the stores are going to be cleaned out in two weeks. And, you know, then what? Then what for the people in the cities? You know what I mean? They have a week supply of food at their house. If that, we're, right. we're gonna, you'll see that you'll see the, um, you know, in that type scenario, obviously, I think we could all agree that society uh, law would all be broken down into nothing. It would be riots. It would be killings. It would be uh, survival of the fittest. Um, and that's no place you want to be. So we always said that, you know, when I was talking to Wayne, that we always said, but none of us were in that position. We did have a couple guys that, a couple family family members that lived in populated areas. And, you know, we would tell them, you need to see what's coming way before everybody realized what's, what's happened. Right. You know what I mean? right. So, so I had a, a cousin that lived in San Diego and, um, I said, you need to get yourself a, an older vehicle. Um, that's something that will run if we do have a sunburst or an EMP strike. You know, we talked about that and get all into what that's all about. But you need to know two weeks ahead of time before anybody else realizes it that you're out of there and you have to have a place to go. You can't just leave and say, well, I don't have a plan of where I'm going. You, right. You've got to have a, a bug out place to go to. You have to set that up. And uh, a lot of people don't realize that. They just think, well, if it happens, I'll just leave and I'll, I'll, hit, I'll go up into the country somewhere. Well, you're not going to survive that. Right. How long can that realistically last and how yeah. short-sighted is that thought? You right. hear that a lot. That's a good point. Yeah. Right. You know what I mean? You have to have that in plan. And I would say 99% of the people don't. You know, they yeah. just, they think the government's going to come and help them. The food trucks are going to keep coming. The stores are going to miraculously have meat and dairy and, and stuff in it. Um, and they don't realize that nobody, depending on what happens, if, if, it's a, if it's a pandemic or a virus that's killing 70% of the people, no matter if you're young, old, whatever, um, you're on your own. Yeah. Government's not coming. Yeah, and it, it would be something in that scenario that would be so exponentially faster in developing than what we're seeing with COVID. But right. the thing that's interesting about COVID is we're only starting to get word, at least publicly on news channels, I know you guys probably get the same thing back there, of get ready because the agricultural products, the meat, and the grocery mm -hmm. supply chain is about to get extremely limited because the backlash of the accordion on the supply chain even right. now and, and we've had a lot of flattened curves, you know, throughout the country, but we still have a second wave coming. Right. Um, and now we're starting to see some of those, uh, those perishables that are not going to be as available. And um, right. we're, we're getting a taste of it. Is, and it could certainly be a lot worse. And we like to, we like to count the positives and the blessings through right. this incident. But it's certainly a wake-up call, isn't it, Paul? It's just, it, it it, is. It's, it's, given us a, it's given us a refresher of what we need to be prepared for and a huge wake-up call, I think, for not only our country but the world. Right. And as, as Wayne and I have talked about um, for weeks in, in these broadcasts is I hope we don't have short-term memories like we tend to on other, uh, other right. instances worldwide, right? Right, um, right. right. So it, interesting, uh, interesting development as this thing continues, and it'll be very interesting to see how bad the supply chain gets and if those, those fears and that anxiety elevate to a point where it does become a threat within our public and hopefully it doesn't. Well, you know, I, my opinion on that is that, I mean, I hope it doesn't either. Um, as long as you're keeping the people fed, um, you know, I think okay. that it, 
it'll be, you know, other than buying out toilet paper for, you know, a virus that doesn't give you the runs or anything. I can't understand that. <laughs> but, right. You know, it's just, it's, it's crazy. But, you know, I think that as long as the people are fed um, and there's, I mean, there may be shortages, but as long as they're fed, I think, you know, stuff will be kept to a dull war. You may keep it to the, you know, the 5% that are the bad characters acting out. But if that were to change, um, I don't think it would take long for society to collapse. I mean, and, it, and it's not going to collapse in Colebrook where I am. You know what I mean? It, it can get a lot worse, but it's really not going to collapse. But in the cities where you have so many people and so little resources for food and stuff, I, it's going to be it's going to be out of control, and nobody's going to be coming to help. No, so therefore, the, if you live in the city and you got a family member that lives in the city, yeah. they have to have a plan to get right. out. So that's that was my point with that. Yeah, one of, one of the issues, to your point on that too, guys, um, one of the things that's interesting is several members on, on my old special ops team in, in Fish and Wildlife that I've been keeping in touch with, because we were in California when this broke out, and then we, we made the migration, timed it very carefully, because we had business and first responders and hospital staff in the family that, that had things they had to do there. And then we had to make the migration up here to Montana, and as quickly as we could, um, but like you said, knowing when exactly to make the launch where if you leave too early, it might be premature and you might not be able to do as much as you should to help people around you in a community. But if you leave too late, it's just that it's too late. You might not um, get out. <laughs> you, you might not get out. And, and we, we started to see, um, we started to see this, this problem start to happen, um, especially in the big cities, Silicon Valley, you know, LA, San Diego, where you just mentioned having a friend from, um, you know, the, the LA basin, especially and and keeping in touch with people down there to see how quickly it eroded once certain, certain news breaks happened. And uh, you had and said I, that, John, I, I, you had said, I, I want to get out of here before, if it gets any worse and they happen to close the state borders or something like that, you know, yeah. you're like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just, he's like, if it gets any worse, I, I want to be ahead of it, not behind it. I remember that whole conversation. <laughs> So. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and it's funny you triggered that, Wayne, because Paul, Wayne and I were doing a broadcast and I was doing it from my RV and mm. going, okay, um, you know, it's, I'm literally, it wasn't even the days anymore. I was counting, I was watching the hours, like what happened wow. in the afternoon on the news. And obviously, you know, being in law enforcement my whole career, like you guys, I've seen short-term panics and we saw 9-11 and we responded to that and, and different things similar to that. But something that had this, this unknown was uh, was such a different concept, and then just to to vibe being around large populations of people and hearing what they had to say, seeing what they were doing, watching the body language and the nervousness and the anxiety putting them on edge early on, that was a real wake up call, and right. um, you know, and, and got us talking about are we really prepared? And Wayne and I both agreed we're pretty well stocked, but we're not ready to the extent of this thing going past a month, let's say, and. For you guys already being up and thank, thank heaven you guys were in your rural spots. For me, it was like, man, I just need to get that 1,200 miles to, to the promised land because you mentioned a, a place to go, the rally point. It's, you know, it's, it's here for us um, and, and, and family members. But, um, but it, was, it, was, uh, it was anxiety ridden, man. I got to say, tensions were pretty high and, and I was in, you know, escape and survival mode like, like we all like to be, but it was for real. It wasn't just running a drill in my head with, all the overprepared gear we've stored up, right, Paul and Wayne and right, right. all the stuff. And it's, it's, it's interesting to see it actually come into play and then learn what we were lacking. And, and you're bringing a lot of good tips to the table that I did not even consider today. And, uh, man, it's great to hear this from you. We appreciate it. Yeah, you, you remember that uh, movie Stripes, Paul? 
<laughs> yeah. Remember the RV and stripes? That's how I pictured John's RV. So, <laughs> if we get some younger guys listening to this, just just watch that movie Stripes. It's pretty entertaining. Bill Murray. It's it's, it's a good. But that's, yeah, a, that's all I can picture John's RV like. So, <laughs> yeah, just answering my retirement. I'm making flapjacks all day and doing podcasts. You know what? What else do you do in retirement, man? In our generation, guys, come on. <laughs> Paul, you mentioned salt was a is a really important staple yeah as far as yeah. uh yeah. prepping yeah and- salt a lot of people don't um a lot of people don't realize i mean that's why you have to do your research um you can't just you know store a bunch of macaroni and stuff and call it good but salt is one of the things that i didn't even know this until we started doing it is that um salt started uh they started putting iodine in salt in the 1920s because uh, most americans were deficient in um iodine and the problem with um that is that unless you live near the ocean and you're eating a lot of sea, seaweed and you're eating a lot of fish, um, you're going to be uh, iodine deficient in your diet. And that causes all kinds of problems. Um, it's very important um, for um, pregnant women to have enough iodine because it's the development of the brain of the baby. And um, it regulates your thyroid gland, which and it regulates all of your hormones. And um, I guess they call it goiter. You can get goiter um, if you don't have enough iodine and um, you can't get it. Like where I live, um, I don't live near the ocean. Um, and even if I did, I probably couldn't eat enough of it to, to uh, do me any good. So you have to store iodized salt, you know, um, <clears throat> you have to store a lot of it um, because um, we went one step further with, okay, um, what if um, there was a EMP strike and we lost our electricity? Well, one of the things, and we talked about this Wayne was uh, one of the things that we did was we want to have a couple hundred canning jars on hand because I have a freezer that's full and I'm going to now have to start canning my meat. Um, In addition to that, I want to salt some of my meat too. You know what I mean? So I want to have enough salt for that. Um, Make some jerky or do whatever. Um, So you have to have the plan to do that. I probably would can most of it. Um, But as far as the salt goes, um, I can't get that around here. There's no salt caves. There's no salt mines. Um, you need to have that. You need to buy the stuff that's iodized. Um, you can go online and you can look at what happens to you if you don't have right. any. And it's, um, it's not iodized pretty- salt being something we don't often think about for long-term preparedness, but it's a, it's a huge issue and amounts that are a lot more than I even thought about. Can you, can you talk a little bit about that and what recommendation you would make for our listeners for how much iodized salt they should store for a situation beyond what we're experiencing in say COVID and, 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 and what's the amount and for how long? Well, um, salt's one of those things that you can store indefinitely as long as it doesn't get wet. And um, as we talked about, um, it doesn't go bad. It doesn't, uh, uh, it's an indefinite um, item. So there is a, a breakdown of how much per person you're going to need per year and all that stuff. And I don't, I didn't go by that. We j- I just kept buying it and I kept storing it. Um, nice. And, uh, you know, <laughs> and what we talked about, and I don't know if it, it, you know, you need the iodized salt because you can get something called goiter if you do not have iodine um, in your in your daily diet. And it's really found in nothing other than, um, you know, some some fish. It, there's a small amount of it in, in other foods, but not enough uh, for a human being to not get sick. So um, it's just very important that you add that, that people add that to their food supply and actually use it, um, you know, when, you know, you salt your food, 
you know, and you have to look, you, you know, some salt is not iodized. So you have to make sure when you're storing the stuff and packing it, you're buying the iodized salt. Gotcha. Gotcha. And, and you were saying a couple hundred pounds is a good bet. If you can get that much, um, that'll, that'll give you some longevity through pretty much any crisis. Right. That's, that's what, that's what, um, we figured. Um, uh, and like I said, I probably stored a little bit more than I needed, but, um, I did that with just about everything only because, um, I don't know. Makes you feel better. Have have more than you need. <laughs> right. Hey man, good to be good. Right, right in a place where overdoing it is not a bad thing, man. Right. So kudos right. for overdoing it. Um, besides salt, buddy, what would you give? Like, I don't, I, I want to stay back at the salt thing because I I think back to the Roman days, salt was like a currency, and someday could be a currency again too. Yes. Uh, you know, that's that's kind of interesting that you know salt was a currency in the Roman times and uh, possibly uh, if, if a currency ever went and salt was that important again, might be a currency. Maybe you're, you're stashing gold away, Paul. Right. Yeah. And, and, right. and Wayne, to that point, trade value, you know, just right. when, when things like ca cash systems are gone, ATMs and electronic payment is gone. Mm -hmm. We're going back to the stone age and we're going to be bartering for goods that we need. Right. Absolutely. So that's a, that's a huge point. Good one. Yeah. There's a guy in a few towns just over from us who's started a Facebook like trading site. So uh, bartering type thing, you know, instead of money and it's taken off like astronomically during this thing. So there's no exchange of money. People need this. They don't need that. And they've been exchanging and that's uh, taken off really quite well in the North Conway area. So that's kind of neat thing. We're, on, we're going back. Super we're going neat. backwards. We're going back to our roots. So, which is, Might not be a bad thing. No, yeah, I, I agree. I don't, I don't think it is a bad thing. I need mean, that we've, we guys have been so far from our roots mm -hmm. of relying on ourselves and Paul, what you bring to the table today of that preparedness and having a plan and thinking ahead when survival is a day to day, mm -hmm. you know, when we're not in urban centers where we have, we have Amazon one, you know, one button shopping and things show up at the door and we don't hunt, we don't gather. We're not conservationists. I mean, we're, we're dying. We are the lost percentage of you know real hunters and gatherers and actually surviving on what mother nature offers us and not manipulating technology there's so few of us left i think and to, to the point of this whole discussion that's a very good point guys in that um we don't think about this enough and we don't do it enough and, and we should actually this is a perfect point in time to do it right i think this is a huge reset for a lot of people um and yep. for our country that we need to do things differently um yeah we can't rely on faraway places for the stuff that we need. Um, yeah. You know, um, it, it, I think it's just a, a reset and um, hopefully we've learned from it and we don't forget about it in a year. Yeah. And, and on, on levels far beyond survival, you just hit it on the head, Paul, when you said relying on goods from other places that we can't do in house. And I know, you know, without getting too political on this thing, this has been a big issue with the COVID-19 outbreak of how reliant we are with, you know, a foreign power. Right. Not only from the standpoint of the origin of the virus, but everything from our debt to our, you know, inexpensive supply chain. Um, it, it's, it is a wake-up call, and I, I hope we don't forget. We, we see some changes globally on all these subjects, not just how we're prepared to, to survive the, the backlash when it doesn't work. Right. Mm. So, uh, Paul, top 10 uh, things to have to prepare? Um, well, obviously food is one of them, you know, okay. um, you gotta have, you gotta have enough food. You gotta be able food to and eat. How do you think, how, how long for food? What, what should we should prepare for? Uh, you said, uh, you know, a year, two years, three years. I know you overdo it, so I'll cut it in half. I know. <laughs> my, my opinion is a minimum of three years that you do not have to leave your house. 
Okay. Wow. Okay. That's um, a lot of food, awesome. isn't it? Yeah. And that's, that's, you know, worst case scenario where um, there is, uh, you know, there is a pandemic that if you have any contact with anybody, you're probably going to catch it and you're going to die. Yeah. So, so you're you know, truly isolated. Yeah. Sealed right off. I mean, EMP strike, you know, that's a totally different thing. Um, if, if we're knocked back 500 years, um, you're going to be able to have community. You're going to be able to, you know, once you weed out the bad apples, um, you're going to be able to, to set up the good people will come together. Um, and, you know, um, that will be a totally different response. I mean, you know, you got a lot of different scenarios, but um, food, very important. Um, we obviously firearms and ammunition um, was another top priority that we had on our list. Um, we went so far, we had about four families that were going to, if depending on what happened, obviously if there's a pandemic, then there's certain part of quarantine until we know that we're, we're good, that we could come together. Obviously if it's an EMP strike, we could come together right away because there's no chance of catching something. Um, but, um, we figured that, um, a good, a good plan is obviously to have a few families involved in where you're going to homestead, uh, because you're going to need the protection of the additional people. You're going to need the additional labor. Um, and you, you also want to, um, have the same type weapons with the same type calibers. Um, yes. Um, you know, let's say everyone has a 45 caliber um, handgun and then everybody else wants uh, everybody for rifles. We have M16s with the interchangeable magazines. Um, so everybody's on the same page. Um, we don't have to store a bunch of different mm -hmm. kinds of ammo. We all have the same. We have the same rifle ammo, uh, same uh, sidearm ammo. Uh, the other thing that we, found that was very important that we thought that I mean very important is having um 22 rifles yeah uh first of all the ammo is very cheap and you can store thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of rounds of 22 ammo mm -hmm. um, and and a 22 rifle is a great weapon for hunting i mean i'm not we're not yeah, hunting buffalo yeah quiet right we're not hunting buffalo you know, we're, you know, if you're going to be, you know, you could take uh, 15 pounds of rice or 20 pounds of rice for your family and shoot a couple of squirrels and have a really nice meal. Um, yep. So you're not going to be shooting a squirrel with a 30 odd six or your M16. So, I mean, and a 22 um, is, is good for all sorts of stuff. And not only that, worst case scenario, I wouldn't want to get shot with a 22. I mean, it's, right. it's, it, it can be used for personal defense too. I mean, 22s are, are devastating to the head. Uh, you know what I mean? And um, and you could give, you know, here's the other thing. You got, you know, 14, 15 year old boys that are, are with your homestead. You give them 22 in a box of shells, 10 shells, go out and get us some dinner. Go to get a couple rabbits, go get whatever. So we felt that the 22s were very important to have uh, pistols um, and rifles. Um, yep. Whether they're bolt action or whatever, bolt action probably would be the best, um, more accurate. Um, so we had we 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 decided on that. Um, so ammunition. Um, we also uh, I thought was kind of important too. Uh, we bought a bunch of surgical kits. Um, we bought uh, dentistry stuff. So um, so like uh, you know okay, shit's hit the fan. There's no dentist around, but I'm gonna have my buddy yank a tooth that's really hurting me, and or even just for a yearly cleaning, anybody can figure yep. out how to do that. Um, right. so, you know, you get the little pick of dental hygiene. Um, sure, sure. we also, uh, I didn't talk about this either, but 
you know, storing, um, you know, every time you go to write a, buy a toothbrush, put it in your, put it yeah, in your, right. your, your cache, you know what I mean? Buy, buy some, uh, you know, is, is toothpaste as important as a toothbrush? I don't know. I, I think the toothbrush is more important, but, um, you know, stuff like that. Um, some, one of the, one of the people that we did this with, and I wouldn't suggest this, I didn't do it, but every time they went to the store, they grabbed a couple of napkins. You know, if they got, went to Dunkin' Donuts, they grabbed a couple of napkins and the amount of toilet paper, napkins, whatever you want to use it for that this guy had, you wouldn't believe it. You, yeah, you wouldn't yeah. believe it. And it was all free because, yeah, I'll take that a napkins, <laughs> you know, so, and that, I mean, you know, we're talking over a period of five years, let's say three to five years that we did this. Sure. And, you know, his stuff, what, I mean, he had huge amount of paper products. You know, that's a convenience thing because if worst case scenario, if, if you know, you got to go wipe your ass with leaves, that's what you do. You know what I mean? But as far as a convenience um, issue, yeah. I mean, that's really nice. The other thing that people should think about, um, I, I didn't have this issue, other, you know, but um, I mean, I had four boys, uh, but one of the guys in the group had girls. So he started stocking up on sanitary napkins, you know, uh, just makes life better. You know what I mean? Um, once, once, I mean, I wouldn't sure. say to stock up on those yep. before you have enough food, but once you get to the threshold that you have enough food right. and your ammo is pretty set, you can start going after yeah. the coffee, right? Oh, uh, you start getting the coffee that you want to start storing, maybe some tea bags. Um, you want to start doing some of the stuff that's going to make life just a little bit easier, but not necessary. Um, right. We had uh, um, friendly with the local doctor and, um, I wasn't at this one meeting, but um, he taught some of the guys how to suture. Um, they, they practice on um, raw chickens. How to if somebody nice. got pop, you know, um, how to how to suture that. You know, that's another. You know, these are kind of the things that we were thinking about after we were just really getting all set. You know, and it was like, <laughs> yeah. You know, um, we still <laughs> bought uh, shortwave radio. <laughs> has the same radio. Um, thinking, you know, of communication. Um, Sadly, we never went any further with that to get our um, our license to, to do that. I mean, it wouldn't matter during a pandemic or the end of the world scenario uh, to have a license. Who would give a shit? But, um, right. you know, it, there is an art to doing that. And we didn't we didn't follow that up as much as we should. That's an area that um, I wanted to do a little bit more with. Um, you know, I'd like to have uh, um, the well, there's another thing about overdoing. I collect knives and, oh. <laughs> you know, and I know you're a knife guy, John, because I listened to your podcast today. <laughs> I know you're making knives. Um, yeah. So I'll have one of them soon, but you can't have enough knives. It's so um, true, especially right. in, in, in this scenario. Yep. You can't have enough knives, even if it's a fact that, you know, people showing up, uh, they don't have a knife. So you give them one. Um, and <clears throat> so I have, a lot of knives that I probably, being my age, uh, I probably don't need to even sharpen them. I can just go grab a new one. Um, so, <laughs> yep. <laughs> I I know the feeling. I got a I got a box full of. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and Paul and Paul and Wayne, we we always grab that that low end knife. You know that right. you just you get it giveaways, you get it uh, conventions. It's got a decent edge, and that's my box cutter, right? Yeah, I don't right. bring I don't bring out my signature blade. I don't bring out an Ernie Emerson <laughs> or anything like that, man. I uh, it's funny you say that, dude. 
kindred spirits. That's that's great. right, right. Uh, <laughs> so I mean, you know, that's and they and you know the knives that I get, you know, um, I look for a certain thing. A lot of people don't even know what a full tang knife is. Um, right. And all the knives that I I collect or I have are full tang, so they don't break off. I had a knife that broke off halfway when I was a kid. I know what I was doing. I was stabbing a, a log or something, fooling around, and it broke off and it cut my. Um, and it wasn't a full tang. Um, so I've got this per thing about full tang. I have to have a full tang knife, uh, you know, unless it's yeah. a full tang knife. Um, sure. But, you know, so I, I buy the full tang knives that are pretty much indestructible. You can hit them with a sledgehammer. You can, you know, yeah. once they get dull, do whatever you want, open cans with them. So that's that's another thing that I that I did on my own of, of collecting that. Um, the other thing that... Uh, you know, there's there's obviously a lot more, uh, a lot more stuff to it, but those are pretty much the the big points. The other, the other thing that we did, um, and merely merely for survival, especially up in the Northeast, this wouldn't be as important if you're in a southern state. But obviously, we're going to need cut firewood in the winter or in the summer for the winter because it gets right. cold. Yeah. So um, who who the hell just wants one chainsaw? I mean, if I had to do it with um, a two-man saw, okay, that's fine. But as long as I can, as long as I can get fuel, um, which that's another whole thing of storing fuel, but, it, you know, sure. 10 spark plugs for your chainsaw, 10, 10, 10 um, air filters, um, have enough oil for the bar, you know what I mean? Um, yep. Stuff like that. And so we, we stored that. If your chainsaw has, um, uh, my buddy was better th at this than me, but... Um, it's electronics. If it has a little CDI box or whatever that runs the spark, get a couple of those and put them in a hardened container. There just, you in go. Case, just in case it was a, you know, and the same thing with um, vehicles. Um, I have two um, vehicles that are pre-1980. Um, nice. Not only, be, you know, and when I first got those, um, it wasn't because of pre prepping. It was just because I like them. Um, yeah. I'm an international cool, cool scout man. I like international oh, yeah. scouts, and uh, yeah. So I, I have two of those, and you know, if an EMP goes down, you know, we know that all of our new cars are not going to work. Anything with a computer is not going to work. Um, so you want to get distributor caps. You want to get some extra spark plugs. And you want to put them in a hardened container, also, just so that you know that vehicle is going to be able to work. Um, especially when um, at the time that we started doing this, I had a son in college, and he was in. Concord, which is three and a half hours away. So we had a whole plan to get him out of there in case something happened. Um, right down to, we wanted him to not shelter in place. We wanted him to start heading home. And he was to walk up the uh, south side of the highway and he had ribbon. And he, I wanted him to put a ribbon every couple of miles. So in case we went past his location, I didn't want him walking in the road, walk off the road, but on the garden, I'll tie a ribbon. So I know that if I see that ribbon going south to get your ass, um, that I've gone too far. I need to turn around and look for you. So that's a yep. whole other aspect of planning this. If you have family members that you want to come back, um, how are you going to get them back? You know, it wasn't, he wasn't going to go to school in California because he wouldn't be coming back. Good call. You know I mean? <laughs> right. You know, there's, there's no way I'm doing that. Yeah. Point. <laughs> Um, so that you guys broke up a little bit there. I didn't hear if you had a question or. Yeah, I think no, I was just I was starting to stop for people to think about because I think uh, we all could we we all could tune that list up a little bit. Even those of us that think we're 
Yeah, I think our Montana link is a little. Uh, yeah, it said it was uh, his bandwidth was low. Uh, That's what oh. it just flashed on my screen. And it'll, it'll probably. Well, he is in Montana. There. <laughs> You're a little glitchy, John, but uh, I think it's straightening out. So uh, everybody's getting off the internet now. All the kids are getting done okay. with school. So hopefully, uh, well, nope. There you go. We lost yeah, connectivity. No, no, I'll, I'll I'll be right back, guys. I'm just checking my internet, and it looks okay. uh, looks good. Okay. Here we go. Me... It's everything in between. That's what I've found out. Um, yeah. Okay. That today, but uh, interesting. So, um, yeah, so we do that. I'd like to kind of go over bug out bags, and you certainly can jump in, John. Uh, you know, what should somebody have? And if we go over time, we can make this two episodes too, which would be good. But uh, the bug out bag, you know, what to have in there and, and, and how to plan that. And you kind of planned on how to get your family back too, which is way beyond anything I have ever thought of. Of course, my family is still focused. I don't have kids here and there. But, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of, when I, when I think of prepping, I just think of a guy that squirrels away a bunch of food. I don't think of all this other planning. And, uh, you know, one thing we didn't mention, Paul, that you, you kind of blew my mind with was the canning jars. So yeah. we went through yeah. this whole scenario, John, that he asked me, he's like, you got a freezer just like I do, full of meat. And I'm like, yep. And I, he's like, well, so when the power goes out, what's going to happen? And I said, well, the generator kicks on and it, and it keeps the freezer cool because I get the, that wired in. He's like, yeah, when you run out of uh, fuel for your generator, what are you going to do? And I'm like, um, yeah, I'm going to throw all that. Yeah, that truth. That... <laughs> <laughs> yep. So I'll let you take it from there, Paul, because you told me what to yep. do from there. And I right. just had never thought of it. So you should you should have uh, in your stash a uh, couple hundred cans, uh, cannon jars. Um, with um, they do sell re reusable lids. Um, we have tried those. Um, they're they're okay. Or you could just buy um, a couple thousand lids if you want. You know what I mean? Because when you when you can something, you use the lid once. You can use the jar again, but you can't use the the lid again. Right. Okay? The so make the proper seal. They do. They did start making resealable lids, um, and we have used those. But I think the the metal ones are better. Um, mm -hmm. you know, just use them once, throw them away. So, so let's just say that does happen. Um, you you're going to need yeah. to store that food, and in the future too. So let's say let's say that happens, and the electricity is just not coming back on. Whatever you're going to be shooting, whatever you're going to be killing, whatever you know, if you got if you can. You know, get a cow, and you're gonna butcher the cow. How are you gonna preserve that? You're gonna have, you're gonna want to can it. You're gonna you're gonna be forced to can everything so that mm -hmm. for long to get through the winter months or whatever. Um, so so having the canning yeah. jar is very important. We even talked about, and it wasn't an issue for me because I already had one. But uh, what convenience again? Because you could always go outside and make a fire and put the pot on the fire and do. But if you have an electric stove, get rid of it and get a gas stove and get a bigger gas tank um, and make sure that you have your gas company um, fill that several times a year so it's always pretty much topped off yeah uh, so because yeah. just for the convenience of boiling I mean if every if every anyone's ever canned stuff having a gas stove is some handy instead of doing mm. it over a fire right. and your yeah. gas stove's going to work even if your igniter doesn't work you can light it with a match so uh, really no moving parts to that so that's Another thing, get get rid of your electric range and get a gas stove. You know, eventually that's going to run out. But for the, you know, let's say this is going to happen, you're going to be the country's going to be down for a year or two. If you have a big enough tank, you're going to have your stove for a year or two. 
you know what I mean? So I thought that not necessary, like I said, you can make a fire outside and put a pot over it, but how convenient would it be not to have to do that? Right. So important to have canning jars. And then it's also important too, that you know how to can. Don't just think I'm going to can when it happens. You're not going to be able to get on the internet and figure it out. So have some books, try it out. We had one of the guys in our group. He was, one of his assignments was to start canning chicken and turkey. And so he bring his canned chicken and turkey to a meeting and it was, it was okay. You know what I mean? And it lasted. And, um, you know, so it's different than canning vegetables. So you just got to know how to do that. Don't wait for the last minute to, to, to have the, the material to do that, you know, put together a three ring binder with how do I can meat? How do I can, um, chicken? You know, because I think the chicken is, is different. You have to do it longer. Um, oh, so right. have all that stuff that you can just pull it out and don't have it on your laptop. Yeah. Right. Have yeah, it, have it stuff. you know, three ring binder isn't going to run out of electricity. So that's, I would say that that was, that's pretty important too, to have that on hand because if this, if, if something happens, you're not going to be able to get canning jars. Right. You might, you might, you might be able to go to the store and clean them out, but everybody else might have the same idea too, just like with this toilet paper. Yeah. Or right now, yeast, uh, you know, making bread and stuff. I have friends that bake their yeah. own bread, and they can't find yeast anywhere. And when they find it, it's five times the price that they normally pay. So it's, uh, it's a pretty expensive fact. Right. So. They, they haven't had yeast in Colebrook in, since this happened. And the yeast that they did have was pizza dough yeast, which is, a little, which is different. It's different yeah. than bread yeast. Um, but you can, there's also a way that you could keep a yeast grow going and keep reusing it. So that's another skill that's lost. I mean, yeah. so you, you know, you have a, a pile of dough and you just keep taking from it and it breeds itself. And, um, you know, and here's a little fun fact for you. Supposedly at the wild Turkey distillery, they've had the same <laughs> yeast batch breeding since the early 1900s. I'll be darned. They have not introduced any new yeast to that. Very, very interesting. Huh. Yeah. Just turkey so, fertilizer. <laughs> What's that? They use turkey fertilizer too. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. <laughs> you know, the other thing that we stored too, or that I did, I we uh, went and bought a whole bunch of um, real cheap half gallons of whiskey. Nice. Okay. And we figured that would be a great barter tool because if you have yep. somebody that's been dry for four or five months, and they have a box of ammo I want, or they, they have something that I want, um, let's say a, a, a water pump or something that I need, um, a bottle of whiskey might go a long way. It might go more than a bucket of rice. Um, yeah, so, but it's nice to have both. Um, the other thing I didn't mention either was wherever you're, gonna, wherever you're going to homestead or stage or whatever, you have to have a water source. Mm, right. You, your water pump's not going to work. you got to plan on your pump not working. The best, the best case scenario is if you have a dug well that is a really good dug well. You know, yep. Obviously, you can go if, you, if you're on a river. That's another situation, too. But uh, most people don't live on rivers so, uh, you know, or bodies of water. So having a nice and, – and that's something that you could even do yourself. If, if need be, you might be able to dig your own in a case scenario. But you should have that in place because it's so important. Um, have it in place as part of your prep. Don't wait for something to happen to say, okay, well, um, now we're going to get our water. Um, even walking down the road to somebody else's well uh, isn't going to fly for the long term. So um, have, 
you know, it might be a little expensive, might cost you a couple thousand dollars, but if you have a property that you guys know that you're going to be going to, whatever, make sure that that has a well that you can lower a bucket in and get some water. That's clean. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Or a hand pump. That's the other thing I was thinking, right. you know, yep. you hand could just pump. take that, you pull your pump out and slide the hand pump in and, and right. use that because that was uh, right. handy. But you never know how much water you go through. If you go to a camp that doesn't have running water. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a it's a freaking eye opener, right? Or you know what you what you can see. I camp and do the same thing. When when I built up here in Montana, we have a great well, a kind of an underground lake of excellent water, about 165 feet. But everything was on electric power to pump that well to the cabin, the main house. So we did the thousand gallon propane tank, the generator backup, you know, the Generac tank that I could turn on and off. It didn't have to stay on all the time but it could pump water. And if we absolutely had awesome. to, we could, we could probably put a sump way down there, but um, we didn't have that, you know, and, and my dad and all the relatives on the, on the whole property and they've been settled here for 30 years. And the whole nine yards is kind of the, the family sanctuary for a problem like we're experiencing now. And I thought, wow, this is going to be interesting in 30, 30 days when uh, no one's got any juice to get all this great water we have just, just under the surface. Right. And uh, it, it, it's something to think about that, that I, I did not think about until, we made the big move um, and, and people are uh, hitting me up with questions on that same system now. So for our listeners out there and our viewers uh, pay heed to it because even in the most rural spots, it can be very, very tough to get water. And, and obviously mm-hmm. in, the, in the urban centers as well. Yeah. And clean water. I mean, you, it's gotta be clean. Mm-hmm. Right. To key point for sure. So you might need a sanitizer or something, or, you know, a little water pump that cleans it or yeah, or a clean water source. Right. So, same as animals, food, water, shelter, fundamentals, basics. Right. right, right you right. know, they do. Right. And then we add all those amenities onto it after. Right, so. right. You know, yeah. Basically, yeah, you get your food, you get your ammo all set, you know, and then you can start worrying about, like I said, some of the other stuff. I mean, I failed to mention water, so I just brought that up. But, you know, that's, I guess, a person could live, uh, you know, what, 30 days without food, but only three days without water. So yeah. that, that's high priority. And, um, you know, the other thing that we started, you know, stocking up on, you know, some of the niceties too is, you know, um, bleach. We started stocking up on gallons of bleach. We started stocking up on gallons. Um, they don't come in gallons, but they come in um, uh, lesser amounts. But um, lamp oil, you know, mm-hmm. how nice is it to have lamp oil? Because batteries aren't going to last forever. Mm, right. So, so we, you know, and lamp oil, believe it or not, I don't know, Wayne, if you ever tried to buy lamp oil, in the North Country, it's extremely different, difficult to find. <laughs> oh, it, so it just is. I don't know, uh, you know, so every time I went down to Gorham or whatever, went to Walmart, I'd buy them out. Um, I started going to uh, a lot of yard sales and buying, de- you know, the old Deeds lanterns. Yeah. Stuff like that. Um, just yeah. to, to have a light switch when it's dark, you know. So so we got we got tons of those things um, and got the fuel to, to, to use them you know, because they're useless without the, the fuel. So, um, you know, that's another thing that we started storing. Uh, like I said, the got cases and cases of cheap whiskey. Um, I noticed that there was a few missing from one of the kids during high school, during his <laughs> senior year. <laughs> I'm sure he bartered that. <laughs> Are we going to unlock here? Oh, you say by now it's unlocked. Comms back up? Yep. I don't yeah. know what, what did that. I'm hearing you. Okay, Wayne, I got you. Yep, we're all back up. So, 
internet connection. Yeah, well, it, it doesn't help. Like I said, it is an absolute blizzard at my house right now. So maybe I really? got a little yeah. bit of, you know, um, it's, it's winter is just hanging on. Yeah. And I was the last man standing. You guys all locked up on me. So I'm like, is that me, you? <laughs> but just, uh, we and John talk about the technology all the time. You know, we wouldn't be able to do this. <laughs> so uh, still kind right. of neat. And uh, it adds something to have the visual too. And uh, we can certainly, uh, you know, give that to some of the people that are on our pay site, the membership only site. So that's, that's pretty something that they would like to. So, um, but yeah, the bug out bags, I'm hoping we get enough uh, connectivity so we can talk about bug out bags. Cause that's something, yeah. you know, it's pretty Something's important. important. Right. Oh. Uh, do you want John or I to talk about that? Well, I, I think you guys well, can compare you... notes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Paul, give me a, give me, give us your twist on it. Um, and, and I'll just, I'll just interject. How's that? Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, so basically, um, we have a bug out bag, a smaller version of, uh, a small version in each vehicle. So if something were to happen, let's say you're coming back from work or Concord and, and sun flash, EMP, something happens and your vehicle dies, um, grab your bag. You're going to have a couple days of food in it. You're going to have ammunition and you're going to have your firearm in it. Okay. Well, firearms not in it. My wife and I, we have our firearms in our center console, whatever, where, however you're carrying them. Uh, so you're going to have protection. You're going to have food, um, in that you want to put a compass in there. Um, some people put a radio to, to, to find out what's going on. I didn't feel, I mean, you have to use it for your, for your situation. We both work in town. If something happened, we could walk home. Um, right. we don't, we're, we're seven, eight miles from town. Uh, the only issue would be is if one of us went out of town for work or, or to do something. I mean, obviously, when I was a trooper, um, you know, that I, I could be an hour and a half, two hours away. But I wasn't really worried about that too much when I was on the job. Um, but yeah. So, you know, and I set up the kids with those too. Um, you know, and your bug out bag for your house. Now, obviously, if you're like we talked about living in a city and you know that you're going to be ahead of the curve and you're getting the hell out of Dodge and you're going to a predetermined uh, location, well, hopefully that predetermined location already has your food stash at it um, and all the stuff that you've been prepping right. and you've been, you've been setting that up. You're not going to be able to carry all that stuff with you. But your bug out bag that you're going to throw right. in your car. You know, you might want to have a tent in it. You might want to have, obviously, rations, MREs, food. You want to have, mm -hmm. I think, the best invention is uh, a, a water purifier straw where you don't have yeah. to haul water, but you can go to any dirty puddle and drink. And, um, you know, those things are relatively cheap to have, and they filter hundreds of gallons before you have to throw them out. Um, get a couple of right. those. Obviously, you got your, your firearms, your ammo. Um, flashlight, um, maybe a hand crank radio just to see what's going on. You know, obviously if you're, if you're going to be able to throw this bag in your car and go, you could have it bigger than if you're going to put it on your back and have to walk out. Right. Um, so right. you kind of, kind of modified if it's depending on the situation, if your vehicle ain't running and you're on foot, that's a bad situation to be in, but it's going to have to be a little less than what you can throw in your car. So, I mean, you know, I, change of clothes, you know, maybe some powder. If you're walking a lot, you want to, you know, if your feet start getting blisters, um, you're, you're going to be down. You're not going to be able to walk. You know what I mean? So, um, I mean, I learned yeah. that in the service, you know, powder your feet every five miles. Otherwise you're going to have guys down. So, you know, stuff, just stuff like that. I would put in that kit, any kit that I had, any bug out bag that I had, I want stuff to fish with. Um, I want, Absolutely. Some yep. I want some lures maybe, but I want some basic, Basic stuff that I can drop a line into a body of water, maybe catch, 
catch some sustenance to, to, to keep going. You know what I mean? Um, obviously you want to have a knife, you want to have like a saw, you want to have, you know, it, like I said, all that stuff, you're going to have to, you know, if you're a 140 pound guy, you might not be able to take as much as, you know, a 220 pound guy. But if you have the basics, food, firearm, um, you're drinking straw so that you can drink water, um, you know, your, your flashlight for at night, you know, cause maybe you might be traveling at night and sleeping during the day, hunkering down if there's people around, bad guys around, you know what I mean? So uh, you might be traveling at night, you know, obviously you're not going to be using a flashlight to show everybody where you are at, but a flashlight does come in handy in case you get injured or something like that. You got to tend to right. wound. Obviously a compass, I wouldn't rely on it. I mean, at the time I didn't rely on GPSs. I use a GPS for hunting now and I love it. Um, super reliable, but who knows if the satellites are going to be working right yeah. um you know does an emp strike take out the satellites i don't know that information probably does so i a hard compass i always take a hard compass with me anyways even when i hunt i don't yeah, rely on yep always have my always have my compass and a lot of times i'm looking at my gps i'm like there's absolutely no way that that's right i'll take out my <laughs> compass and it's right because <laughs> i trust there, my compass. Done that learned <laughs> learned trust the gps i know it doesn't seem right but it seems right. it's always right um, and the big and a big thing too and we didn't discuss this at the time and it wasn't big but you guys you guys know the big thing in law enforcement now is tourniquets mm. and, yeah. uh, i added that just recently to i mean i didn't buy one but um i added that to my list of things to do i got to get a couple tourniquets um yeah. you know so i mean that's another huge thing and you know this you can modify that list to whatever you want but as long as you have the basics you know Right. Um, and a plan, you know, gotta, gotta have a plan yeah. and you have to have That's the plan it, prior to it happen, happening. Yeah. Cause you're right. You can't play catch no. up when you have to use your book and it's that moment. But your list, your list this is almost identical to one I've, I've put several things you mentioned that were really critical and new to the bug out bags. Um, whether it be tourniquets or an Israeli bandage, something to deal with really hard trauma, not a bee sting, you know, not a little cut, but a broken bone. You know, um, a puncture wound, whether it be a stabbing or, you know, things do get Westerns, so to speak, and it's that bad gunshot. Um, hot bags previously didn't really include that for, for the layman or the laywoman, rather, and, and it needs to. And when you mentioned um, flashlights, especially for operating at night, um, that's one of those things that I think gets left out a lot because, yeah, there is safety in darkness. Um, I, I've always added, besides having a, a small led you know very low draw with with redundant batteries and whether it's my side satchel or my vehicle bug out bag having that handheld light but a headlamp um right. a headlamp or even, or even two headlamps because I've, I've just found that in the advent of all the operations we've done on the law enforcement side and being a hunter like you guys and navigating where i got to be hands-free you know in, in pitch blackness hiking into a snow blind or something at four in the morning man those headlamps to be hands-free are just just so amazing right. to navigate and like you said brother if if you are navigating at night to stay off the uh, the wolf's radar, so to speak, and you're having to illuminate certain, you know, trail indicators here and there or, or deal with the wound or deal with a, looking over a map or reading your compass, um, those, are, those are real good critical things to have. But uh, the rest of the list was like I'm just checking all the boxes of the stuff uh, right. <laughs> I put out there. So it's, it's good stuff thinking about it. And uh, actually, um, when we made that big push from California, you know, all the way up here to Montana, it was, it was pretty interesting because I hadn't looked at my bug out bags in a while. You know, I hadn't really checked what was in the truck, what was in the car, what our trauma supplies look like, even though we have trauma, you know, uh, trauma professionals all over in the family. And 
they, they were lacking in a couple spaces. So it was uh, scampering to find those supplies just in case. And it was, it was a good fire drill. Uh, right. None of it was needed, of course, because it didn't get that crazy. It was just a smooth ride. But it was kind of nice to have a little, bit of, a little bit of adrenaline going on, an urgency in real time. And not just, you know, all those years that you're like yourself, preparing and thinking about it, having great meetings on it. But now we're actually starting to test the waters of putting this into motion a little bit, fortunately, without any hazards come to anybody. So it was, it was eye-opening. But great list, man. Good stuff. Right. Yeah, Thanks. certainly a, a great way to start thinking about it and putting this stuff together if you don't Again. have it together or yeah. adding to what you have and, and looking for a further out. You know, this is a good shot across the bow, I think, for all of us. <laughs> That's it. Okay. Probing, Maybe. probing fire has hit us in the woods. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and and you know, I, and I got to say, you know, I, I never, I, you know, and I wouldn't want to, I'm not saying that I was, I wanted this to happen, the EMP strike. I mean, you know, I, I somewhat lived my life back like a hundred years ago anyways. Um, right. but, but the thing that scares me the most is what's going on now. Um, and yeah. if something were to happen with the pandemic, that's much worse than this. Like I said, with the 50 to 80% kill rate of everybody, um, that's, that's the thing that, you know, scares me the most. Um, and even with all this stuff, I don't know if you could survive that, um, depending on how catchy it was or, or whatever, but, um, the, that's the, the scariest part. I don't know about for you guys, but the, this, an unseen, an unseen enemy is, is, is what scares me the most. Mm -hmm. I, I agree. It's, it's absolutely the worst. And I'm, I mean, this, this kid and how many times it's morphed, right? And how many right. times it's, it's, it's changed. I think um, a scientist in the family, a medical scientist actually in my family out in Silicon Valley just said, this thing has mutated eight times, just the, just the COVID virus. And this isn't like, you know, an anthrax where, it, you know, it, it's a bioweapon that just kills almost instantly. And um, we know there's more of it being made out there not playing the, uh, you know, the, the paranoid conspiracy theorist guy, but we know bioweapons are being engineered all right. over the world. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of worse stuff, Paul, and you know, Wayne, to your guys' right. point, than, than COVID-19. This is, right. I, I really, uh, you know, I'm kind of putting out the word that I think this is, Wayne, you said it really well, a shot across the bow, or this is probing fire just to see what comes back. And I, and, and I'm, I hate to say it, but I don't think this is the first and only time we're going to see this you know, in this next generation. And, and I agree with you hundred percent, Paul, we really need to think about um, a worse case than what we're in right now. And this is a good testing bed. All right. Did All you right. have masks in your, your kit, Paul, as far as uh, no. the, the N95 masks? No. We so had, well, we, we did have gas masks. We, um, I've right. been buying gas yeah. masks um, with some yeah. of the filters that do filter out yep. pathogens. Um, but there too, um, I have three or four. Well, there were six people in my family. Mm, so, you, um, you know, and point taken, I don't know where you go to get a kid's mask at the time. Now all my, my kids are adults. Um, so that's another thing that, you know, but what are you going to do? Walk around with that mask all the time, 24 yeah. hours a day. Right. You know, it's, you know, if it's something that's airborne or if it's something that, you know, you know, they taught us in the service, you know, they have, they have bombs that will go off. And they have infected mosquitoes that fly out of the the uh, capsule and to spread disease that way, you know. Right. So the mask, you know. So I mean, I, you know, there's so many different scenarios. Um, but I, I think you know the being able to breathe um, wasn't as important to us because we are in such a rural area that um, unless unless there was a cloud of this stuff coming at you, um, right. you know, right. we're not. We we don't have to have contact with a bunch of people. 
Mm-hmm. Right. Makes sense. Yeah. I think, I think that's one of the best things, guys, is where we're all ass in the country right now. We have that advantage that the urban population centers don't. And Paul, to your point, when you said, have a plan, have a route and have a destination, you know, have an Alamo, have a rally point, whatever that is. Right. And it's got to be where you have fresh air and where you have circulation, right. you know, just for right. a bioweapon issue, chemical or, or even nuclear. So that's, that's a really good point. We, we don't, we don't really discuss, we kind of take for granted those of us that live out here, but right. I can, uh, I'm sure you guys are certainly getting a lot of inquiries if you have relatives in the city and you're keeping in touch with them like I am and just, they're holding their breath long homes or track homes or apartments and and um you know if you're very lucky we don't have to deal with that but that's that's the majority of our population in the country and what they're gonna have to face right 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 and the other scary thing is that uh nine you know i think it's something like 90 something percent of the food is produced by two percent of the population (laughs) um you know and that's a scary that's a scary scenario there you know um if yeah. something were to happen, yeah. you know, to the farmers and, and, you know, think 90% of the food is produced by 2% of the people. Yeah. That's not, that's not comforting. Nope. I think not it's at all. resurgent in gardens this year and right. canning. Yeah. And uh, I mean, with yeast gone, people are making their own bread. Uh, right. Speaking yep. of farmers, my, my buddy who's a dairy farmer in New York just sent me pictures of him dumping milk out. Um, and oh, I know wow. he's going to be crying cause he, he, you know, a, he's not getting paid for it, but there's no market right now. So he just he yeah. pulled the plug on the bulk tank and let it run. And, uh, yeah, knowing wow. Steve he's going out of his mind. Cause he's like, you know, if I don't get a government handout, I, I it isn't going to last. So those two percenters are going to be stressed out, uh, because of this and because of, we shut down so many things, the schools, the, the, the sources that the milk was going to. So, yep. Yeah. I have to post those pictures with this podcast, John. It's uh, it's, it's it's heartbreaking for me to see that because uh, you you know what how hard those dairy farmers work and any farmer how hard they work right. for their right. product, whether they're tilling their stuff under because they can't sell it or whether they're pulling the bulk tank because no one's picking it up because there's no market for it right now. Um, just uh, just heartbreaking. So. Yeah, but, but, it, it absolutely is, and, and you know that that's middle America, and like you said, Paul, those those two percents. But, and it's, it's not even, and even beyond the demand where there is the demand now, there's that, there's that supply chain of getting it out to just distributors, you know, that's extremely lacking right now. My cousin, and Wayne, you mentioned your buddy, I've got a cousin here in Montana with us right now, but her husband are dairy and hog farmers out in Minnesota. There's some, a big one out there and they have all this product. They have all the markets it's got to go to, but all the distribution is just locked up and stopped at the processing plants, the trucking routes. And so they're, they're doing the same thing. You know, they're, they're letting crops that are spoiling go. Um, it, it's heartbreaking and they actually have a market they just can't get to. So right. to your, to your buddy in New yeah. York guy, you know, it's just, it's just the same deal. And it, you think of all the, and Paul, to your point, you think of all the different things that have to be in play together to keep what we take for granted going. There's a lot of moving parts to, to this, to this right. machine. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've, we, we've barely dismantled just part of it with this COVID thing. And it's very That's easy right. to dismantle more of it. It's uh it's not comforting, you know. Right. If you, it if wouldn't you really take much more to dismantle it all the way. It wouldn't, buddy. It wouldn't at all, guys. I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. And um, we're, we're feeling it firsthand with, like Wayne, your buddy that's a that, that's a, you know a dairy farmer in New York, and I got you know cousins doing it. Paul, I'm sure you know a lot of folks out there, you know, outside of our line of work in you know agriculture production and and cattle and and livestock and things like that. And, um, I mean, middle America 
America suffering the worst and, and, and then the end user just not getting it. it. It wouldn't take much more like you're saying, Paul. I, I don't agree, right. I agree with that wholeheartedly. Right. Mm, no doubt. No doubt. So, no, thanks, Paul. I really appreciate it. I did tell you you could tell the story how we met. I mean, if you still want yes. to do that. We, we, I do. I got to hear this, Paul. Come on, so, man. I'll, I'll, so, I got to hear this coming into this friend. <laughs> Be so, John, I'm sure you, you've uh, <laughs> experienced Wayne's whole hearty laugh all the time. And, and, oh, but yeah. I, I, know. I hadn't, I I hadn't know. met him prior to this night. I had come up to the North Country in the beginning of 1998 as a trooper, and, and um, I was uh, just, you know, thrown into moose accidents. And, you know, we didn't really have moose <laughs> on the part of the state, you know, these big black right. beasts. And, and uh, so I get a call for a moose crash. And so I'm going out to it. And Wayne was on duty also. Um, and he had ended up coming out to the moose crash. He had a trailer on his, on his, the back of his, um, his truck. And he was going to help me out with getting this thing, getting the beast out of the road. And um, so, I'm, you know, Hey, how you doing? You know, he's fishing game guy and, you know, uh, kind of heard of him because of his history and his story, but um, you know, didn't really know him yet. And so we, get this moose onto, onto the trailer and he's like, follow me. I'm going to go, I got to go in the back road or whatever. And so I follow him. We're in, um, I believe we were in Errol, which is pretty rural. And um, so we go down this dark, dark dirt road and he's like, Hey, can you hold the flashlight for me? I'm like, sure. So <laughs> got this big smelly hunking carcass thing on the trailer and he's, he rolls up his sleeves and he starts cutting at the stomach and the chest and, and he's, reaching in there with the knife and I'm just holding the light. And I'm like, and so he's hacking at something and he, <laughs> he goes and he looks back at me and he says, go, go get it. Go get me a plastic bag in the center console of my truck. So <laughs> I went in the center console of the truck. I got a plastic bag out. And he goes, all right, open it up and hold it open. And he's doing something in there. And he comes out with this steam because it was cool out that night. It's just this yeah, big yeah, part. Yeah. Blood's leaking out of it. It's steaming. It's still twitching. And he, and he puts it in the back. And I said, oh, you, um, you're going to bring that to the lab for testing? Or he goes, hell no, I'm going to eat it. <laughs> and I couldn't believe anyone was going to eat that thing. And um, I thought he was screwing with me. I'm like, yeah, right. And he's like, no, I'm going to eat it. It's good. And I'm like, yeah, okay. And uh, so anyways, he cleans up, we leave, and um, it just so happens that um, I think it was the next night or the night after, one of the other police officers that I had just met was having a party, a birthday party at his camp up in Pittsburgh. I was on duty again, so I stopped yeah. in, and lo and behold, Wayne's there, he's off duty, and he's frying up the heart. Oh yeah, frying party pan, favors. And, Absolutely. and he's eating it, and it's not even cooked. <laughs> I told him he was going to get worms. He goes, nah, I do this all there, the time. There might have been some alcohol involved in that, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, brother, you got basically Game Warden 101. You, know, uh, you got immersed in our, in our crazy uh, lifestyle on, on that first stop. And, uh, yeah, that, that, was, that, was, that was a good one. And then the Great. other part no, to it, John, is I go, I go to training like weeks later. And uh, there's a bunch of troopers in the training. We're at the police academy, and they're like Wayne Saunders, and all these heads turn and look at me. I'm like, yeah, right here. And you know, they're like, uh, do, do you know Paul Rella? And I'm like, yeah, I know Paul Rella. Are, are you the guy that eats moose heart? <laughs> yeah, dude, I, I think I. Saw there's my you, reputation. I, you, you were like Magua in that last of the Mohicans movie, man. You're just that's crazy. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. 
Wayne, i.e. Magua Sanders. That's right. Well, it was always a big joke when I used to go down to training in Concord because they thought Coas County it. was the end of the earth. And most of the time it was snowing because it snows almost every day. And I'd get down to Concord. They'd be mowing their lawns like this time of year already. And my right. cruiser would be covered with salt. And they're like, oh, what did you leave yesterday morning to come down here? <laughs> so they were fascinated with the different kind of lifestyle because it is a different yeah. lifestyle. Up there. It is. Yeah. So, of course, that story about Wayne and the moose heart just it was oh, great. It so everybody like remembered it. And... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Oh, good, good first meeting, man. I'm glad to get to get to get to know the, the legend, man. Uh, Wayne said a lot of good things about you, and, and appreciate meeting you at least digitally. And sometime when all this pandemic mess settles down, and I make it over to the East Coast to, to see Wayne, I hope to visit with you, man. It's absolutely. We got to hang out. Absolutely. Let's do John, it. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, good to know you, man. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, I really appreciate you coming on. Yeah, right, thanks thank for sharing, you. Paul, because it's 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 vital information for everybody, and you know somebody's going to benefit from this podcast. There's no doubt in my mind. I'm I'm going to benefit so. from this podcast. So, oh, uh, yeah, I really appreciate it. So. And Paul, if you want, um, hit me up on an email, and we'll we'll talk about getting you set up with a trailblazer knife if you're okay. if you want one so, of those. That sounds great. I will do that. You got it, man, fellow knife connoisseur out there. I didn't know even better. Oh, yeah.